I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week, we're speaking to Tony Tone about dating, relationships and self-care. So if you don't already know, Tony Tone is known for being an online content creator who loves talking about advocacy, dating, finance, beauty, fashion, the lot. And we like to think of her as the internet's big sister. So we're really excited to have her on the show, especially me, because I love her. Tony, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. So Tony, tell us how you'd like to be introduced and what makes you a dope black woman. Um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, really. I kind of just say content creator at the moment. Things are in development, but for now, content creator. So what makes me a dope black woman? I would say the love I have for other black women, my belief in myself and my willingness and belief that I can achieve the best and be the best version of myself that I can be at all times. So I first came across Tony through um, like a Twitter thread going viral and now I'm always reposting her stuff and showing her content online. But um, Leanna Lives, how did you guys find out about her? I was going to say Twitter as well, for sure. Like, you know, Tony's one of those people that if you have black Twitter, you know who she is. Like, <laughs> she's part and parcel. She's verified, honey. Like, she's not messing on these I'm so streets. Flaccid. These are such nice. I'm like, here, you could, I'm like blushing in my bedroom. <laughs> Yeah, probably the same for me. I think when we started Dope Black Women, I probably started kind of searching for other dope black women to follow. And then I kind of uh, stumbled along your profile. And actually, I think one of our best or one of our most successful tweets is something I retweeted of yours. You posted a picture of like, I think you going out on a on taking your partner out on a date Oh, okay, yeah. And then I retweeted yeah. it and I said, this could be us, but you're too busy upholding the patriarchy. I saw that. I like <laughs> and, that too. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so thank you for that because it's clearly one of our most successful tweets that we've had so far. Because it's true, right? So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so everyone knows you as the internet's big sister. You've got such a dominant and mm. important voice on black Twitter. But how did this even come about? Like, what was the journey to get in here? How did I become that? That's a good question. Um, 
so I guess it's a long, long story, but the short version of it is I used to work at Oxford University. I used to work in communications there. And I was the um, student communications manager there. And I, I really loved it. I enjoyed it. But you know when you're in a job and you're like, something's missing. I just felt in my gut like I wanted to do more. And I honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, there was a period where I went through a difficult breakup. And I had a lot of thoughts that I wanted to share with other people. Not necessarily to do with the breakup directly, but... It was, it's funny that people say, and I hear this a lot, that I'm the internet's big sister, because at the time I was like, oh, I wish I had a big sister to help me through this period, because I have a younger one. And when she goes through, through a breakup, I'm there, she's resting her head on my shoulder, I'm telling her that she doesn't need the guy, she's amazing without, and she'll be amazing on her own, and her Prince Charming will eventually come, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, I don't really have... I don't really have that big sister. And I thought, okay, let me just use the internet as an outlet to share some of my thoughts and share things that I wish a big sister is saying to me or had said to me at some point. So that's how it started. It was an attempt at me helping myself. And then it just kind of went from strength to strength. I think my first like viral thread was when I did um, it was actually for my little sister. It was about chubby cheeks because one day she was like moaning to me about having chubby cheeks and I was telling her how amazing her face is and how amazing chubby cheeks are and she should love them. And I did this thread not thinking anything of it. And then it um, ended up on like Huffington Post, Mail Online, um, The Independent, lots of different outlets. And then I think that was the point where I was like, okay, maybe Tony, your approach isn't what it should be. Maybe you're going about this the wrong way. You're writing and you're writing to help yourself, but maybe you should focus more on helping other people. And that's how it kind of just started. And then from then on, I was like, okay, I want my page to be the page for women like me or young girls that are kind of like stuck. They don't really know what to do or they don't really know how to manage their life, their relationships, their career. And I want to give them advice based on things I've seen and based on things that I've done and not done that I wish I did. <laughs> Do you feel a sense of pressure with this with this title? Um, hmm. I guess to to a degree there is, but no, I don't. I I don't really feel a sense of pressure because one thing I've learned to do, especially with Twitter, is to not force content. It's very easy when you're like when you have a profile, you've built a brand, you think you have to be writing twenty four seven all the time. And once upon a time, I did think that when everything kind of started to blow up. But then I just learned the best way for me to move forward is to be my authentic self. And that's how I grew it in the first place. So why would I change that? So I only share content when I'm really in the mood to share content. And it's something I truly believe in that moment. And I guess on that basis, I don't necessarily feel pressure. Um, I guess, well, there, I guess pressure comes from from like people asking me directly for advice so like my dms on twitter are closed but on instagram they're open and i get so many dms and i there's only one me i do not have the time to reply and respond to everyone and that's where i feel pressure but not necessarily like oh they expect so much of me it's like me kind of feeling bad that i don't have the capacity to help everybody um and it can be yeah it can be emotionally intense at times I guess but on the whole no I wouldn't say it's too much pressure it's something I enjoy I I like I'm a people person I like communicating with people and helping people Mm. I feel like sometimes to me because I feel feel like you and like Tolly T are like my oh that's lovely DM you like but I don't I DM you But like, um, what's a common thing that a lot of your followers ask advice for? Uh, relationships. 
hands down. I get I get messages from men. I get messages from women. A lot of it is to do with breakups, heartache, someone cheated. How do I get over it? How do I move forward? I would say relationships take up at least 80% of the messages I receive. I'm surprised that men dm you as well because i feel like you're for me you're so strong on like female empowerment within a relationship as well so do you find that men are asking you questions that are genuinely asking for advice or are they trying to argue with you or what kind of stuff do do men talk to you about (laughs) i mean yeah i'm saying i get a lot of uh I i don't really get the majority of messages are definitely from women uh, I don't really get loads from men, but when I do, I would say 70% is, I'm trying to argue with you, you put the, this tweet up and I'm angry and my girlfriend saw it and I'm pissed because now she wants to leave me, blah, blah, blah. And the other <laughs> remaining percentage is men genuinely wanting advice. So men who follow me and actually really like my content and can appreciate like the nuance in, in things I say and they may need assistance or want assistance with the situation they're experiencing with, with the women in their life. So I do get, yeah, some men that, that ask me for help. That's dope. I was going to say, um, you know, because what you do, your platform and your tweets and everything in between is so, um, it's so tied to relationships. How has that affected your own relationships? Because I know you know, you you keep the relationship you're in now, you keep that very private on purpose. Is there a lot of pressure that, you know, people just want to know everything and anything about your own relationships and your own personal life? Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. People, people are nosy, people are just naturally nosy. But you know what, as annoying as it can be sometimes, I kind of understand it because I think when you're hyper um, visible, sometimes people, they, they know of you, but in their mind, they know you know you. And it's like, why wouldn't you tell me who your boyfriend is? Why wouldn't you share his picture? I want to know. And they, and sometimes people feel entitled to your details about your personal life, which can be frustrating. Um, but I would say it affects, the way it affects my relationships, um, not so much my relationship directly, um, but I, I was acutely aware when I was like sharing content and when I do share content back when I was single that a lot of men, um, how could I say this euphemistically? <laughs> A lot of men may not have liked what I was doing as far as trying to empower women or highlighting some of the more negative things that men sometimes do. And because of that, I knew that a lot of guys would be of the opinion that, ugh, like, long, don't even, nah, don't even go there, da-da-da. And my friends would say, oh, doesn't it make dating difficult? And I'm like, but it's amazing because this is like a natural Mm. filtration process. Like, I'm filtering out all the guys I don't even want. So, like, people would be like, oh, aren't you worried about all the stuff you share and finding... And I'm like, no, because the guy that comes to step to me knows he has to step correct. And my boyfriend right now, like, is amazing. um, And I have no complaints. He's wonderful. Like, hands down, like the most fulfilling relationship I've ever been in. And I think it did help me to be so vocal with what I think women should accept and what they shouldn't accept. That helped me in that sense. Um, But I would say that, yeah, some people are nosy and there will always be an element of not so much pressure, but, you know, you have some people, particularly when you give advice, you have some people who are like, oh, she gives advice about X, Y, Z. I want her to fail in X, Y, Z because she gives it she gives advice in this arena so what what I what I mean when I say that is that um you have some people who because I give advice regarding relationships 
there will be some people that may not like my advice. And so it's, oh, I really don't want her. For example, like the men that would convince I was like this angry, bitter black woman who had a vendetta against all men and I was going to be single forever. They really, really did not want me to have a relationship of any kind to validate their opinion of me. And so when I got into a relationship, it was like, oh, that's annoying. And then I'm acutely aware that there will be some people who would want my relationships to fail on the basis of me giving advice about relationships, if that makes sense. Now, not the majority, definitely a small minority, but I guess it does affect my relationships in that sense. And I think that's why people are so nosy, because it's like, oh, she's always telling you women, oh, uh, you should be with a guy like this. Don't be with a guy like this. Think about this. Who's she with? I want to know who she with to validate whether mm. what she says is accurate. So, yeah, so there's an element of... <laughs> of annoyance for me there it's interesting because i i think we've talked about dating quite a bit on (laughs) our podcast and we've all shared pretty crazy dating stories but in terms of responses to twitter i feel like i'm quite vocal on twitter as well and the response that i've received is often about men attempting to prove me wrong in the sense that they're going to show that they can dominate or that they that female empowerment is not a real thing or that it somehow falls at the Ugh. hands of like male disenfranchisement and all of that stuff. And so how do you filter out someone, I guess, who is in the process of learning or unlearning many of the things that they've done? Because everybody is up on their journey, right? And everybody kind of, you have to meet people where they are and then kind of... Yeah. So how do you find the line between people who are willing to be open and learn and people who are just like, yeah, this is a lost cause? You know what? My my I can't lie. My dating life's been pretty simple because I've like pretty much dated people who have been friends, Mm. if that makes sense. I think I've only ever actually had one of, of my four boyfriends that I've ever had. One was someone that approached me and asked me for my number on a night out. The others were all friends. So I don't really have to filter as such because when I'm single, I can't even, I'm not really trying to get get to know anyone for real, for real. I'm just like living my life and enjoying it. And I think that's why I end up with like people who are friends Mm. to me because I'm, yeah, I think sometimes I just live in a bubble, which is quite bad. And I'm just going about my business, minding my business, doing what I want to do, living my life. And then if someone is in my life and I feel like actually this person contributes to my life in a really positive way, then that kind of develops. But as far as like dating in general, I've not really had to filter out as such because I'm... I can't, I turn a lot of people down. Wait, so how does it work for the breakups? Because you said you've dated people who are oftentimes friends. Does that, are you still friends with some of the exes that you've had? Or is it like, do you have a rule about cutting people off post breakup? Um, uh, two are married. One I'm friends with in, uh, by definition, but I, out of respect for my partner, I don't engage in an active okay. friendship with them but they're my friend as in I wish them well if I saw them in the street I'd say hi like I yeah it's all nothing but love but out of respect for my partner I just I just mm. cut it off you have a loose term for the word <laughs> friends <laughs> <laughs> like someone that I say hi to the street could be anyone like now, okay okay when I, say, when I say that like as far as like my friends friends I could count my friends on one hand but a friend as in this person an was acquaintance in, um 
I wouldn't say acquaintance as such because I was with them for seven years. So they will always be a friend. Oh, fr- man, yeah, they yeah. would always be, they will never be an acquaintance to me. They will always be a friend to me. Mm. But a friend as in I am loving mm. you from afar, basically, as a friend. But I, I would never call them an acquaintance based on the fact that our relationship was as long as some people's marriages. Can we talk about this for a sec, though? In terms of, like, being friends of an ex. So, like, when it comes to, like, Instagrams and Snapchats and things like that, like social media, do you think it's inappropriate to have your ex on those platforms mm. if you're in a new relationship? I don't think there's a set rule. It's very dependent on you as an individual and your partner and the way you both perceive uh, friendships with an ex. Because for some couples, it's completely fine. As long as there is no inappropriate communication or inappropriate behaviour, it's not a problem. But for other people who are more sensitive to that, it might be an issue. So that's why I think there is an element of nuance there. I would never say never be friends with a, uh, an ex. Um, I choose to not be friends with, with exes um, based on the fact that they are married or because we were together for so long, for example. But I don't think there's one set rule. It's very much about you communicating with your partner about the, the dynamics of the friendship and whether they think the dynamic of the friendship will interfere with your relationship. I want to ask a question <laughs> about... Um, so, I mean, there's lots to be said about how um, now, in, you know, in your 30s, what you've learned or wish, what you wish you knew about dating in your 20s. Um, and I know a couple of people online, they say, oh, you know, the, the main advice I would say to, you know, my younger self, my younger siblings is don't worry about these boys. Like, don't worry. Like, honestly, it doesn't matter. It's not worth it. You won't remember them in five years time. But I think you do need to have those shitty relationships in order to prepare you for the good ones. I think you do need to kiss a couple for you do have to go through like bad relationships I mean what do you think what do you guys think um I don't necessarily think it's I don't necessarily think it's a a have to because I guess some people never experience those shitty relationships and they are better (laughs) for it (laughs) yeah because there are some people for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah no because for example I have a friend who's married so she had a boyfriend like high school university they broke up then she got another relationship and she got married after her second relationship so there are some people that never really go through those like toxic relationships as such and yeah they are the they are the really really (laughs) lucky ones but um on the whole I do totally understand what you mean because some of my most useful lessons were from relationships that did not last And the relationships that did not last ironically brought me to where I am in my career because a lot of what I do, I do because I learned things from those relationships. So I do think that sometimes um, the less positive relationships can have a place to a degree when it comes to teaching us about ourselves. So as an example, like in my 30s, my understanding of what I'm willing to accept was built off the back of what I put up with in the past and what I let slide in the past. Now, if I never went through those things, I wouldn't be in the position I am today where I say, I am unwilling to accept X, Y, Z. These are my non-negotiables. And I know this because I made the mistake in the past and I will never do it again. And they taught me fantastic lessons. So I think it is very much about how you manage those breakups post those difficult relationships and whether you just dwell on the sadness and the grief and the loss of the relationship or whether you take away lessons that help you in the future would you mind um expanding on that obviously you don't have to start out and out exes and things like that <laughs> <laughs> I was telling us like some of the things you've learned about yourself from being in relationships and it doesn't necessarily have to be like the negative stuff either it could be good stuff too um one thing that I talk about on Twitter is just acknowledging that 
my life as an individual should not be forgotten when I enter a relationship or a union with someone else. And what I mean when I say that is that it's very easy for a lot of young women to enter relationships and their life becomes their relationship, their relationship becomes their life. They're just focused on their partner and being one and one day getting married and they kind of park their aspirations and their goals that existed outside of the context of a relationship and I've been in that position where I had all these dreams I had all these goals and aspirations and then when I'd get into a relationship I would kind of forget them and think oh no I need to be the dutiful girlfriend and support my man's dreams and goals and prove that I'm this ride or die supportive girlfriend who will always have his back and Mm. and then I learned with time that that was the worst thing I could have done for myself because at the end of the day my mum did not give birth to me and my man she Mm. gave birth to me and my life is like a life that I am in control of with or without a man and my future my goals and my aspirations should mean something with or without a man and I had to learn that because it's a disservice to my parents to suggest that oh everything I do and everything I want to become is tied to another person like no it's not so that's one lesson I learned and another lesson I learned I had a, um, a relationship in university so when I was like 18 19 and the person had really bad problems with anger um they would throw things, they would punch walls, they would break things. They never touched me, but the way they controlled their emotions in times of conflict was terrible. And coming out of that, I realized that it was only a matter of time, really, before the person did that to me. And it really got me thinking about how people manage conflict and that being a massive um, indicator or a massive um, red or green flag, depending on how they do it, but a massive indicator of how they would manage issues in a relationship. Would they sit with me? Would they be understanding? Would they be patient? Would they talk things out? Would they try and review things from my perspective? Or would they put up a massive brick wall and actually do something that could potentially put me in harm's way? And how will that affect the growth of the relationship and my well-being? So that was another thing that I learned with time. Like, If I'm in a relationship and I have an issue with something, it is not normal for them to punch a wall. It is not normal for them to break my makeup. It is not normal for them to break a window. Like it is not. And that's something that I I was acutely aware of coming into my late 20s that, look, if I'm in another relationship, which I was, um, I do not want to be with someone who cannot manage their emotions and cannot manage their anger. Um, So, yeah, there's been lots of little things and not just from personal learning or also observation. Like my parents have been married for 30 years and also kind of reviewing their relationship and saying, okay, what worked? (laughs) What didn't work? What am I going to put into practice and what am I definitely not going to do for myself? What does um, you mentioned in response to Liv's question about kind of whether how you let go of things and kind of not focusing on the negative. But what does that actually look like? Because I feel like we talk very kind of in this very airy-fairy way sometimes about letting go of the past and, you know, moving forward. But what does that tangibly look like? Are there practical tips that you did or you engaged with to let go of um, negative experiences or not holding on to things uh, or not lingering on things? Yeah, I'm I'm big on, well, I guess you guys know I'm big on writing. I love writing and writing really helps me. And I remember uh, when I came out of my really, really long relationship, um, sitting down and thinking, and I kept dwelling on like the time, the time, the time, the time spent. And I was like, that was your, like basically all your 20s. You spent so much time in that relationship. What were you doing? Time, time, time. And I remember sitting one day and I was opening my journal and I wrote a list of the things that I learned in that relationship. 
And I wrote all the ways the relationship helped me and all the ways the person contributed positively to my life. So I had to spin it on its head and I had to realise, you know what, Tony, it's not, oh my gosh, you lost almost six, seven years of your life because you didn't. That relationship shaped you into the person you are today. And you learned all these things from this relationship. Um, you, You developed in these ways and this person taught you all these lessons and you would have not had these experiences had you not been in that relationship so I guess that's one way of turning a negative into a positive so thinking less about what you lost and thinking more about what you gained um because even as Shan said like in even in negative relationships like sometimes they do help us be bigger and better and have more positive and fruitful relationships in the future yeah and so in your 30s what's something you learned about dating in your 20s other than the story, I always think about the chair story. <laughs> the chair story. That's on a on a different podcast. I once told a story. <laughs> I'm gonna give you the very oh, quick God. synopsis Go of again. a scenario where I was at a party and I ran. I was with on a date and I ran into one of my exes who threw a chair across the party because he was upset about seeing me with somebody else. Oh, wow. But there's there's lots of information tied up into that. Like he was actually not my partner. He was like a friends with benefits kind of person. And so there was lots of my own toxicity that was included in that space as well. <laughs> um, I think for me, similar actually. So I think learning how to set real boundaries was really, really important. And I think for me, um, I'm friends with quite a few of my exes and I realized that time does make a difference. So in terms of, being able to be friends with your exes, just going back to that point, is like, I think time makes a difference because you do need, I think people are very quick to think that if you didn't, if relationship didn't last very long or it lasted really long and they're very much embedded in, in your life that they have to stay a part of your life. And like Tony said, I think there's a middle ground to be had in terms of limiting your interaction, but still loving someone from afar and being there if they need you, but also just kind of protecting your own energy. I think protecting your own energy is probably the most important thing that I've learned and not sacrificing yourself, especially as someone for me who I consider myself like a giver. Um, I think, yeah, protecting my own boundaries and learning not to pour myself into other people, but learning that pouring, my, pouring into myself is equally as beneficial to the partner that I have. I'm just going around again. So, Livs, before you went, you spoke before about, you spoke briefly before about, um, relationships you had been in before Josh, but are there any things, that, like nuggets that you learned from them that have really helped your relationship with Josh now? Uh, I think one of the biggest things that people don't talk about in relationships is sex. And not just having sex, but like what you feel comfortable with and like being comfortable to try things and feeling comfortable to just like, I don't know, like sex is usually portrayed as something very um, frisky and dirty. But like, I think it's beautiful when it's just really comfortable where you can get to the position where you tell someone like, oh, I like this or like that. If you can have if you can have sex with someone with the lights on and you've got no makeup on and, like, you know, you're looking like cr- trash, like, getting to that kind of, like, real <laughs> comfortable, vulnerable place with someone is a really beautiful thing. And I think I did realise how much in previous relationships, again, like the others have said, again, when I was younger, I was a bit more like 
oh girl, like, you know, I, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to prep myself, like, every, every time you get in the bedroom, as if it's like a performance every single time, and there's these expectations that I've put on myself, <laughs> I need to go on a diet for a week beforehand, you know what I'm saying, like, now, but now it's just like, we can just, like, chill and just be your full, authentic self, I think not enough re- women realise that a healthy relationship looks like you being your full, authentic self. It's so interesting you said that. Someone actually sent me a question on Instagram like last week because I was doing the Q&A and they said, oh, question, when you're having sex, do you take off your wig or do you leave it on? And I was like, why am I going to leave on my good wig and just mash up my wig? (laughs) Headscarf, like, no, I'm not literally in my wig on. (laughs) It's so funny because we were talking to culture about this literally the other day and about black hair and about women who, you know, they won't even let their partners see their real hair because of the expectations of like what sex looks like, what a relationship looks like, what women look like, all of these, all of these things. I mean, there's a flip side to that as well, right? I think you, there's balance in everything. So as much as you should be able to have sex with your partner or be in your head wrap or a bonnet or whatever it is, um wig no wig i think there's something nice about getting dressed up and doing things for yourself and then also having a partner appreciate that right because there's balance to everything like you yourself want to feel yeah, that's sexy true. when you're walking into the space with your partner otherwise he'll be able to yeah turn. valentine's day i'll have my wig on <laughs> <laughs> she said i'll treat you today honey <laughs> Yeah, if you feel sexy with, with your bonnet on, that's cool. But some women aren't, maybe aren't always there or they want to switch it up. Everyday yeah. bonnet gang. <laughs> but everyone, no, honestly, I feel, I feel bad. My whole dating, so before I was with my boyfriend now, the whole dating time, I was literally in my cap, and my bonnet, and my cap, and my bonnet. And now, where I should be comfortable to wear it, obviously I already am. But now I feel bad and I'm like, I need to do my hair. Because you had that whole time of me and my cap and my bonnet. But anyway, that's the only trouble that you can deal with. Um, earlier on, we were talking about flags. And I feel like a lot of the time people talk about like red flags, but don't really know what are the green flags to look out for. And I think what happens is when it comes to relationships and dating, that people kind of um, reward men for doing basic shit. So like, mm-hmm. even, even like, uh, this is kind of separate, but this is my example. Like if I see a man out on the street, walking with his baby in a buggy I'm like oh such a good dad excuse me <laughs> he's not the babysitter <laughs> right so like what do you what do you guys think are some of like the green flags that people should look out for when entering new relationships mm, I think yeah obviously like non-gender specific flags because these apply to everyone so like I said earlier how they manage conflict is is massive like whether they can talk things out be patient be understanding um, someone who is attentive, I think as well, is really, really important. I haven't, I didn't realise until my current partner how important it is. So someone who notices the little things and someone who really listens to understand and not just listens to hear and they actually really pay attention to your needs. I think that is really important. Um, someone who also can provide words of affirmation. And when I say that, I say that because in relationships, we often talk in, talk about our partner's character when we have an issue or you didn't do this you didn't do that I wish you were more this but 
how many people actually say, oh, out of the blue, babe, I really like that you are like this. I really like that you have this quality, that you are good at this thing, that you do this. So I think that is a massive green flag, someone who has the ability to, to do that. Um, someone who also reciprocates your energy, I think is important. We can sometimes like ugh, romanticize, oh, in love, you, you, you give, you don't give to get your love to love and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, I get, I get that. Certainly when I love someone, I'm not necessarily doing it for, uh, for reciprocation, but an awareness that reciprocation should be there. And when you do something for someone, they actually appreciate it and they consider ways to show you they appreciate it. And not just in a material sense either. So I think that's really important too. Um, but I, I'll stop there and I'll let, let everyone else share some green flags. I could be here all day. <laughs> um, I mean, something we've spoken about openly on the podcast a lot is about mental health. Um, so someone that takes your mental health seriously, for me, is a huge red flag. Red flag? <laughs> green flag. It's a huge green flag for someone that takes it seriously. If they're going to turn around and be like, you're too sensitive or you worry too much or you're depressing to be around or you're sad, oh, honey, leave and shut yeah. the door behind you <laughs> so someone that takes your mental seriously your triggers seriously your trauma seriously your anxiety attacks whatever it might be someone that takes it seriously yeah is a red is a <laughs> i'm still used to red yeah. flag too used to it as a phrase but yeah those are green flags for me i think one of the biggest things for me is how i observe my partner treating yes. other people because so much of what people do for you can be performative when they're trying to get with you, whether it's sleep with you or date you or whatever it is. But if you see an organic way in which people, your partner treats other people and is just a genuinely good hearted person, I think that is definitely a huge green flag for me. Um, and then also just communication, you know, as Tony said, like listening to, not to respond, but listening to understand. It's so interesting when you're in a conversation with anybody, man or woman, and you're sharing your point and they just say, OK, I hear what you're saying. Let me process this and go away with it and come back to you. Like, I much rather prefer that than to just immediately have a response and like someone just kind of getting into an argument with me or trying to dispute or prove me wrong. I think it's quite powerful and it almost it's something I had to learn because so much of what I um, struggle with is like instant gratification when I'm arguing is so I want to know what the person is thinking. But sometimes it's actually quite powerful for the person to pause and say, actually, I want to think about what you've just said to me and then we can discuss it later on. What about you, Shan? You must have a few. And I think you guys have said um, like a lot of the ones that I would look out for. I think um, for me... So this is kind of like what I've learned in my current relationship as opposed to a previous one. But I think being with my boyfriend now has made me realise how important it is to be with someone who has a genuine willingness to grow for like yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Because I feel like I so like I feel like a common mistake that a lot of people have, or it might just be me, <laughs> but I would always meet guys and feel like not that I could change them, but I could influence change in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to mold them. I know that I, when I meet them, I'm not going to be like, oh, they're going to be this version. But, but the person that I'm with now, there were things that early on I realised, like, I'm not really too keen about or whatever. That I, Once I made that one comment, I wasn't really keen about it. They actively worked on and developed. And it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't play a role in our relationship. And I feel like knowing that I didn't have to say anything was just 
a shock to me because before I'd be the person that'd be nagging on about that said thing mm. all the time. But that also comes down to settling as well, isn't it? Because when I was nagging on, I was definitely obviously settling in that situation. So someone who's willing to grow within themselves, like without you having to pull them along, like they're a dog. And also someone who creates a safe space for you to be authentically yourself. Yes. So when we talking about before and I was saying like, oh, when I was dating him, I was always in my headscarf and my bonnet. I mean, literally my headscarf and my bonnet. No make. I don't wear makeup anyway, so like no makeup on. That was because there was a, there was I was in an environment. I was around someone that allowed me to feel beautiful in my own skin. Whereas yeah. normally I'll date guys, and this guy is the opposite of me. If you guys remember the Iceland story, how he dressed to go to Iceland, oh, and yeah. this guy's dressed to the nines all the bloody time, or like always dressed to a standard. Whereas I'll be in my tracksuit. Like you saw me when the cameras were on. My head's like oh god. <laughs> But, like, someone who allows you to just show up and be you, I think, is important. Because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of relationships where people aren't them- themselves. And when I see some of my friends in relationships around their partners, it's like, it's not like they're being a fake version of themselves. They are them, but I, I, they're not them with me. And obviously, you're going to be different with certain people. But, I mean, it doesn't feel like a safe space. It feels like they're, they're, a, they're a version of themselves that has a bit of a wall up or a bit of a guard. And I think it's important that the person you're going to spend life with and being here for the long term, that they need to be able to see your raw and authentic self. It's interesting that you referred to um, you trying to help someone as nagging, because I think when somebody is not ready to learn, that they just feel pressure, and then you just feel like you're nagging because you're not being listened to or you're not being heard, when actually you're just trying to genuinely help someone. And it's interesting when you do meet somebody who is willing to grow, you'll see that they'll actually ask for the help to grow and ask for advice because they want to learn. Yeah, and I think too often women especially are targeted um, or painted with this uh, brush that says we're complainers anyway, that we're moaners anyway, like that women complain about their men anyway. That's just what we do. Um, Mm. So if that's then being met with backlash, it's kind of like, well, no wonder people get their guard up in relationships. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. But Tony, what do you think are like some of the challenges or even benefits, I guess, for young people now when it comes to dating, in particular when it comes to black women? Um, I think a challenge, not necessarily one related to race as such, but just the time we're in is that we live in a digital age and that can create microwave relationships. And I guess what I mean by that is like quick, easy, one and done, and then that's it. Uh, And I think social media is not really helpful to us when it comes to um, our attention spans. Um, Now, it doesn't affect everyone. There are lots of people who are in fulfilling relationships and social media doesn't really impact their relationship negatively because of the commitment they have for their partner. But then there are also some people who always think the grass is greener on the other side because they have a different type of access to people that we never had, say, 50 years ago. So I think that's that's definitely, definitely a challenge. Um, And I think another challenge... um, could also be which is linked to social media again a comparison so seeing relationships online and comparing someone else's highlight reel to your 
full-time relationship so seeing the best of their relationship and I say the best because who's really putting up their worst moments on social media if we keep it real like a small minority of people you're seeing couples going on holiday couples goals you're seeing good looking couples and and they're not showcasing (laughs) their arguments and disputes and they don't have to but then some people make the mistake of thinking their relationship needs to be five-star hotels and and Maldives holidays and um, looking aesthetically perfect together all the time and that's not that's not true I think that's another challenge Um, and I think for black women a challenge for us which is really sad but when we talk about black women and black women dating within their race having to think or ask yourself like does he date black men or even having to think think as a dark-skinned woman for example does he take date dark-skinned women i think that's something that black women face that mm. other races don't necessarily have to face and and questioning whether the men within your own race even like you um so I think that's particularly difficult for black women and then when black women think oh you know what maybe I'll give Tom a shot I'll give Paul a shot and they want to date outside their own race and then they have to they have to question whether they're going to be fetishized does does Timothy even like me because of me or does Timothy like me because he wants a chocolate (laughs) goddess that fulfills his like African slave fantasy do you know what I mean like it's it sounds like it sounds really harsh to say but that's the reality of dating as a black woman I remember Mm -hmm. once I was walking down the street with my best friend and uh, a guy stopped her and said to her he wasn't black stopped her and said to her oh I don't really generally find black women attractive but you're so beautiful and I was like what the hell like why did he have to provide that caveat couldn't he just said you're beautiful and I've had friends who (laughs) have told me the craziest stories of like dating online as black women dating outside their race and some of the questions they have received from men and the requests that they have received and like the example I gave about the like the slave fantasy I gave that because that's an actual thing you have some men that want to play master and servant and it's I was shocked to discover that um, so I think that's, yeah, those two things as, as a black woman, like just your the, the intersectionality between your race and gender and having to tackle that when you're dating is, yeah, is intense. And I think a lot of other women do not have to deal with that to the same degree. 100%. I definitely agree with you. I think especially growing up in the Caribbean where there's a huge mixed population, there's definitely this kind of aspiration to whiteness where the lighter skinned you are, or if you have a certain type of hair, you're seen as more appealing And so oftentimes you do have to really question. I mean, I know I have gotten the, oh, I know you're dark skin, but you have nice hair so it can work. And, you know, that's an immediate filter. As you you pointed out, it's an immediate filtering of the men that you don't want to date. But sometimes it leaves you in a space where there aren't that many men left to date. Um, Because quite so many men, in my experience anyway, do have those kind of hangups or do have, even if it's subconscious and it comes out in kind of an offhand comment, it's something that I personally can't turn a blind eye to. Like telling people telling me that I like my hair straight instead of curly or telling me to stay out of the sun because I'll get darker than I already am. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you or that resonates with me. For sure. I think For sure. you're saying it's quite interesting because it kind of links to the idea about the importance of having self-love when you're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And to Tony, for anyone who's listening, well, anyone can get involved, but I'm directing that at Tony. But for anyone who's listening who is in that sort of space where they're battling with self-love, what, what advice do you have for them um, in relation to building their self-confidence? Mm. 
I think when you're in a space where you're really tackling um, yourself when it comes to like an inability to really love yourself adequately, it can be very easy for you to look at yourself through a very negative lens. And I think for people who are going through that, it's important to remind yourself of all the good things about yourself, the wonderful things about yourself, the things you love. And not necessarily, I think people can be quick to do that and jump straight to like, um, surface level things it's not just in relation to how you look I've asked people online what do you love about yourself they'll say my eyes my smile my this my that and it's like okay what about character too or what have you done that you are proud of what do you like about your your present past and and what are you hopeful about in the future and I think sitting with yourself and and just leaving the negative thoughts and and asking yourself what you love about yourself is important I think when it comes to self-love and questioning your self-love I think it's also very important to be acutely aware of the company you keep the kind of company you keep because if we are in a space where we do not love ourselves that will only magnify if we are around people that do not love us or people that do not treat us adequately so being cautious of the kind of friends you have and and paying attention to small details when you're happy how do your friends react when you say something positive about yourself how do your friends react when you have an opportunity how do your friends react or friends and family so just being aware of that I think is really important and I think investing in yourself too um it's very easy when we feel like oh we're we're I'm horrible. I'm not achieving anything. I'm, I'm, I don't feel great. I just don't love myself enough. It's very easy to just give up, up on yourself entirely, but it's important to continuously try to invest in yourself. Do, and it's not necessarily investing yourself to, because people hear that and they think, oh, invest in yourself. So you're like the, the best in your career and you have loads of money and you no. like invest in yourself means do things that feed you, that fulfill you, that feed your spirit. Do things you enjoy. If you love traveling, do that. Invest in yourself. If you have a hobby that you've uh, always wanted to try, do that. Invest in yourself. If you've always wanted to achieve a certain goal, do that. Invest yourself and remind yourself that you are deserving as well of good things. I think when, when we're in low periods of self-care and self-love, we can often tell ourselves we do not deserve love. We do not deserve nice things. We do not deserve opportunities. We do not deserve good friends. We do not deserve to be happy. And Try, try to affirm daily that you deserve good things. You deserve all the things that you want for the people you love. And, and do not forget that. And one way to remind yourself is to just write it down. To, I, I try, every day I try and show express gratitude. So in the evening when I pray, I talk about everything I'm grateful for. And I talk about everyone in my life that I'm grateful for, all the opportunities I've had and all the things I want to do in future. So I think it's about incorporating something in your day that allows you to affirm all the things that you love about your life, affirm all the things that you're grateful for and to remind yourself that you're deserving of love. So those are a few tips. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Once I start, that's it. <laughs> Do you feel like it's hard to consistently practice what you preach? Because, I mean, self-love and self-care, sometimes when you're in the lowest of lows, is really hard to bring yourself to do, right? So, um, yeah, like, do you feel like once you just keep practicing, it just becomes kind of second nature? Or do you constantly have to remind yourself to do these things? Self-love is definitely not a destination. It is a journey. It's one that you are continuously going to be on. It's one that you are going to, you're going to face hurdles along the way. You're going to face walls along the way. There are some days you're going to hate yourself and you're going to feel like you were on such a great path and you were doing so well. I think it's about 
being patient with yourself, being understanding and just recognizing that it is a journey and you won't always get it right. But being willing to put your best foot forward every day for a lot of people, it eventually does become a habit. But I think that habit takes years to form, years to instill. It's something that you know how they say that, oh, when when we see someone and, and they're excelling in some something, there's been 10 years of groundwork. I feel like self-love is very much like that. Like you have been going in for years and years and years for it to become second nature. But for most people, it is definitely a journey. And it's about being patient with yourself because like as much as I talk about it and I love it, even me, sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes I like I'll have imposter syndrome and I'll be like, you know what? I got this opportunity. Why the hell did they give it to me? They could have given it to this person, this person, this person, this person. I don't deserve this. Oh no, I'm going to fail. I'm going to appear on this show. I'm going to appear on this podcast. I'm going to say something crazy. I'm going to regret it. I still deal with that. But it's about unwinding those thoughts and saying, okay, you know what? I've dealt with these negative feelings today. How can I move forward tomorrow? Um, so you, are, you, you mentioned imposter syndrome, um, just, um, which I think is really interesting because we spoke about it on the podcast before with someone else and that, they, they, that was something they'd never experienced before. But it's something that I feel like a lot of people have and do continue to experience but for you when it comes to situations like that where it's a whether it's a podcast you're going on or you're writing for a platform like what um coping mechanisms do you have to overcome this one thing i have to say to myself a lot when i have thoughts pertaining to imposter syndrome is is tony this wasn't a fluke they've seen you put the work in. Tony, this wasn't a fluke. They've seen you put the work in. Because sometimes something can happen to me and I think it's by luck, it's by chance, it's a fluke. And I have to remind myself like, no, you work daily. Like the, the proof is in the pudding. You put out content daily. And I have to really remind myself that I am trying every day to deliver content to deliver work to show people my skills and if I do get rewarded in any way that's just people acknowledging that they have seen what I'm putting out and they like what I have to offer and they see my skill set um so that's one thing I do a lot like remind myself it's not it is not by fluke and another thing I have to to remind myself of is to like just not compare like do when when I say um, compare I mean negatively compare because sometimes I compare and I compare from a point of motivation like I see someone and I'm like oh yes like I'm trying to yes I'm trying to be like you like inspiration I, I do that a lot but sometimes I do have those moments where I'm comparing negatively and I'm like oh why didn't they give it to me why didn't they give it to her she has xyz more followers or she just did this or she just did that I don't I don't deserve this like why why did they choose me and they didn't choose her and I have to be like okay Tony no everyone's on their own separate journey everyone has their path this opportunity was for you is for you and they're gonna have their own opportunities like why are you gonna talk down your own opportunities so those are the two things that I I have to tell myself on the regular and I almost have to be my own therapist some days and just be like okay no get it together and have you ever experienced this in terms of like relationships where like with your um current partner where you were saying um that is the most fulfilled relationship you've ever had was there ever parts where you kind of questioned that or do you think that it was just a, well how did you respond to that no because when the relationship at the point the relationship started I was at a point in my life where like I felt like 
I had I'd been through the jungle so I felt like any relationship that comes my way that is good I am so deserving of it wasn't so much in the relationship context I don't really have the imposter syndrome there with with my relationship because it was more so like it's about damn time that's how I felt um <laughs> so it was yeah it's, it's all like super positive and I guess like in relationships I try my very best to be the best version of me and I feel like on that basis I should be with someone who tries their very best to be the best version of themselves so I feel like I have met my equal um and I guess like this is the first time where I feel like okay you know what I'm with someone who is as committed who is as dedicated and who puts the work in to the same degree that I'm putting the work in um so with my relationship no I don't I don't really feel that and I don't think I've ever felt that with him do you guys feel like you suffer from imposter syndrome in your relationships Liv, Shan? Um, I would definitely agree with Tony. It's definitely something that has uh, followed me in previous relationships rather than my current one. And I would agree, again, it's about like knowing your worth and it's about... <laughs> I saw a great tweet today and it was like, I love when women realise they're not actually asking for that much. And I think... <laughs> and I think that is so true. I think previous relationships taught me like my standards weren't ridiculous high and... Well, low, honey. And actually, like, you know, I'm not high maintenance. Like, that's just something you're saying to me. I don't, actually, I've never been called high maintenance. But I know plenty of girls who, like, are made to feel like they're asking for the world when they're really not. And I think then you develop... Um, imposter syndrome because you're like well I must be rubbish if my partner thinks I'm asking for too much yeah I, I definitely I, I definitely relate to the, like those girls where I've not that I thought I was rubbish not like that but like I kind of always had quite a high standard and then I set it and it, it continuously wasn't being met so I kind of just felt like why am I meeting people that aren't doing it and it made me feel like oh maybe I need to change my standard and I didn't thankfully I didn't yeah. and now with my, with my current boyfriend I realized that um Actually, my standard was actually yeah. still too low anyway for what I was asking for. Um, mm-hmm. So so what I feel like now in my current relationship, I do at times have imposter syndrome. Mm. But it's more where it's like, it's just, a, well, maybe because I'm still new into the relationship. But it's more where it's just like, I think too much when good things happen. and Because like, I'm not used to it happening in that way. So when he does really nice things or when I see certain qualities come out that I haven't seen in other relationships, I'm thinking a lot like, wow, this is really happening. Why is it happening? And that that's very frustrating because it's like, you don't really get to enjoy it as much in the moment as you should. No, for sure. I think the definition of high maintenance for me is when you ask for things that you're not willing to give. So if I'm asking for holidays and trips and, and mm. you know, long conversations or... Um, complete and undivided attention and you're not allowed to have any other male friends or any other female friends but I have a load of male friends and you know I'm always on the road and then I feel like that becomes what should be defined as high maintenance rather than what is high maintenance or is perceived to be high maintenance so Tony what what what's next for you what's happening what's next um it's a sticky one because I a lot of what's next I'm not allowed to say there's two things that are part of my what's next but I'm technically not allowed to say right now um but let me let me think about what I can say uh what is next that I can actually talk about uh it's it's something good it's something good you I guess everyone will find out soon but for now I can't say but I guess for me just kind of like thinking about ways I could share my content differently so less less so on Twitter maybe 
like in in other ways and I think that's really important to me just diversify my portfolio right now so that that is definitely key and also talk about your collection how did that come about Oh, thank you. Look, look, I've even, <laughs> I should be plugging, I should be plugging <laughs> that. Like, thank you for, for, for remembering this. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So um, I've launched um, a collection with Becca Apparel um, called Nomad. So that name was given to it because of my love for, tra- for traveling. I love traveling. It's something I like to do like at least three to four times a year. I mean, Rona has kind of like killed off my 2020 plans, but yeah, so I love traveling and that came about because um, now I've always loved Ankara fashion. Like I've worked with like different, different bands and Becca Apparel was a brand that I had previously received clothes from and I really, really liked them. And they talked to me about the possibility of launching my own collection and, and Originally, I never really had the idea of branching into clothes because everyone knew me as like the content person. And I thought, oh, wow, this is this is interesting. So I had a few meetings with them to gauge how much I would be involved. And then when I found out I could literally design the way the pieces would look and pick fabrics, I was like, yeah, all in. So I remember sitting with them in a hotel in London. I drew a bunch of pictures and I was like, I want to dress that looks like this. I want this. I want a jumpsuit. I want this. I want this. And they were like, yeah we can bring your pictures to life. And that's how it kind of started. And then um, they were sending me like pictures of different fabrics. I was picking fabrics and then we made a few um, small pieces. And then I saw them in real life and I was like, oh my God, like you literally took my drawings. They weren't even that good. (laughs) And you took all the ideas I had and you turned them into this amazing collection. And that's where we were talking about, okay, how can we make this a thing? So I talked to them about going up to from going down from size six to up to size 24 to make it as inclusive as possible um we talked about the possibility of people being able to order it um overseas so we made that happen uh international shipping and and we um sat down and I had to name every piece so I was with my sister and I was like (laughs) oh this is okay you know what this dress was going to be called Miami because when I went to Miami I wore a lot of pink so this is Miami I was like this is Monaco because I could so see me here wearing this I was like this is Rio because it's yellow lots of vibrant colors so I named them after popular cities that I've been to or popular cities that I had planned to go to in 2020 um and that's how it just kind of happened really and then yeah before you knew it I launched a clothing collection that I could have never thought was gonna happen like a year or two years ago but yeah here we are and the feedback has been really good so I'm excited to see how it develops and just one question I'd love to ask you before you go um what do what do you think your younger self would think of who you are now that's a really good question that's a really really good question my younger self would be so shocked that what people know me for is writing and I say that because when I could like if I could list the subjects I loved in school English was not in the top half at all like I English literature I was not a fan of it I thought it was so boring at the time and if someone had told me that my career would center writing I would have been like get out of here there's no way in hell the young me would have thought I was going to be doing something completely different I think the young me would be shocked at I think yeah the writing element and also that um I think also that what I'm doing has allowed me to be so versatile because I think growing up, it's very easy to box yourself in. Like, I'm going to do this job 
and this is going to be me and this is what I'll do forever and not really giving yourself the grace to be a jack of all trades and I think the young me would be shocked if I sat down with myself and I was like by the way you're going to do this you're going to launch a clothing collection you're going to have this then you're going to work on these things that you cannot talk about and then you're going to do this 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 I think the young me would be like wait how are you wait you're doing all those things and you're not a, a singer and you're not an actress and you're and you can still do all those things even though you're not a, like I, I don't think the young me would be able to compute that like mm. social media would be a thing to the scale it is now and social media would allow me to have all these opportunities outside of being the typical kind of um uh, like I guess yeah having a collection and things like that or doing the things that I can't talk about is was something historically linked to celebrities I guess and I think the young me would be shocked that social media granted me the opportunity to fulfill those things outside of being a, a celebrity we're all like what is it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know the collection is literally like launched like day, you can still count the days but like when when are we going to find out about what's happening now um hopefully at the end okay, of the month if not the start wait. of october but end of month start <laughs> start of. october for the first thing anyway for the first thing <laughs> if I need to add, uh, what's that thing called where you like subscribe to some of the tweets that lets you know every time <laughs> <laughs> gonna have the notifications on with the rate i tweet you're gonna be so annoyed i've been going off all the time guys i think we're gonna wrap up but i just wanted to say thanks so much to tony we are so honored to have twitter's big sister on our podcast <laughs> thank you so much for having me i had a lot of fun yeah no we've learned so much today i feel like super empowered and like motivated after this conversation and i feel like uh, it's it's so nice to see everything that black women often talk about because so many of the things that you've talked about today or that we've talked about collectively today um, are things that we talk about in our WhatsApp groups, are things that we talk about online, on our social media platforms, our messages that we get as well. And so it's nice to see kind of everything that we want to become almost epitomized in your words and in your actions and in your, you know, in everything that you share with us. So yeah, just thanks for being a dope black woman. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from. On Twitter and Facebook, we're Dope Black Woman. But on Instagram, we are Dope Black Woman 1. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Black be black. Black task. Hey! Thank you so much. This has been a nice chat because, you know, like lockdown, I've not been like with big, my like big groups of friends at all. It's been like me and my best friend or me and my boyfriend and me and my family. So it's nice to have a girly chat. Like I forgot like how nice, how nice these are. So thank you. The whole time I was dating, um, oh, to receipts. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Hold up! What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 